Father, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the sun on our skin. Thank you for the friends, for the neighbors, for the family members, for people we may not know that are around us, and for the privilege that we have to hear from you. And we pray that as we open up our Bibles, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, and that you would speak, that you'd make us attentive to your voice, and that in attending to your voice, we might be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So we have been in a series, a very short series, over the last few weeks entitled City on a Hill. And what we've been doing is we've been revisiting the most fundamental, the most basic of questions that a church ought to ask. And that's the simple question, why do we exist? And we're revisiting this question once again because we're in a unique season right now. We're about ready to come out of COVID in the next couple of few months, uh, Lord willing. Yeah. And, uh, and we're also in a building renovation. That's about ready to start in the next couple months. But we're moving together in a new season as a church. And so it's important, I think, for us again and again to revisit that basic question, why do we exist? You know, Jesus has given to us a mission. Uh, he said before he left this earth, he said, as the Father sent me, so now I have sent you. That means that the church is inherently a sent people. We are a missional people. That means that the church is not simply a place you go. You know, like uh, if you want a really delicious hamburger and french fries, you go where? In and out, in and out if you're in Southern California. I was going to make a critical statement about In-N-Out Burger, but I realized that I would not be among friends if I made that statement. That could be dangerous. But listen, the church is not like a hamburger stand. It's not a vendor of religious goods and services, a place you go to, to get the music you want and the teaching you want and uh, the stuff you want. Instead, the way the Bible frames the church, the way Jesus talked about the church, is that we're not a people or a place where we are a people who... We are people who have been called together and have been sent together on a mission in the place God has put us. And so we've been talking together about what that means, and we've been unpacking this metaphor that Jesus gave to us. He said, we are a city on a hill. We are called to be a light in this dark world. We have been given a vocation. And what is that vocation? What does it mean to be a light? Well, it means that we are called to bear witness to all that God has done in Jesus Christ. God, the creator of everything, has acted astoundingly in this world, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, to bring his healing, restorative, justice-bringing kingdom to bear on earth, even as it is in heaven. In Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, the eternal love of God has become flesh to dwell among us. And that love, that kingdom that was inaugurated in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus has been on the move for the last 2,000 years. And his powerful restorative love has been at work to heal broken lives and broken homes and broken families and broken hearts and broken communities. And it is the vocation, it is the mission of the church to give witness, to give testimony to the people around us of this love that is broken into the world through Jesus. Now, how is it that we bear witness to what God has done in this world in Jesus Christ? 
Well, we, we've said in at least three ways over these last three weeks. Number one, we said that we bear witness to God's love in Jesus Christ first through what we say. We are messengers of the kingdom. We saw last week the model for the church of, in Philip. You know, we are called to approach those from different places than we're from, maybe different socioeconomic or ethnic or racial or uh, life, life, you know, places than where we are from and to cross boundaries and to bring the good news of Jesus to those who don't know him. We are called to speak of God's love in Jesus Christ to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members and our friends so that they, like the Ethiopian eunuch, can know something of the wideness of God's mercy that has transformed and changed our lives. And so number one, we are messengers of the kingdom. So we bear witness to the saving power of Jesus. We are a light to this world, number one, through what we say. We're messengers of the kingdom. But secondly, we, we are witnesses to the kingdom of God through who we are as a community. We are a community of the kingdom. And we talked about this a few weeks or a couple weeks ago. We looked at the, the portrait of the early church that is given to us in the book of Acts and it is beautiful and it's compelling. This is a community of people that were vulnerable with one another they shared their possessions, they shared their lives, uh, they shared their homes, and they, they, they worked toward reconciliation and forgiveness. They were a community that was marked out by love. In their very life together, they were bearing witness that God has a different way that human beings can relate together. We, can, we are a community that is called to practice reconciliation and forgiveness and kindness and love together. And in so doing, we bear witness to this reality that is broken into the world through Jesus Christ. So number one, we bear witness to the gospel of Jesus through what we say. Secondly, through who we are, we're a community of the kingdom. But finally, we bear witness to the saving power of God's love through what we do. We are agents of this kingdom. We are salt that is called to be rubbed into the meat that is the surrounding world around us and to be a countercultural community that is for the common good, preventing the decay and the implosion of, of stuff around us and, and bringing the presence of Christ and making what we touch better because we're engaged as active disciples of Jesus. And in so doing, we bear witness that there is a different way of being human in this world through how we live and through how we engage as agents of mercy and justice in this world. So we are called... We have been commissioned by Jesus as a church to bear witness to God's love through who we are, through what we say, and through what we do. So that's what we've been looking at over the, la over the last few weeks. But today I want to draw our series to a close with kind of an addendum to this whole discussion. And uh, I, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, this week as I was kind of contemplating and thinking about how to wrap up this series, one of the things I, I thought that, that, that I could talk about is the importance and the power of decision. In other words, at some point we got to decide whether or not we are going to simply be about doing a religious game as a church, or are we going to be serious about engaging in God's mission and sacrifice our finances and our homes and our time in order to invest in this work that God has given us? 
And of course, we can't always waver between two minds. At some point, you've got to draw a line in the sand and say, let's choose together to be a community that is on mission together. So what I, I thought I could talk about the power, the importance of decision in this mission. And then I thought, no, maybe, maybe what I'll do is talk about the power and the importance of collective action. In other words, if we are going to participate in the mission of God in the months and the years ahead as a church family, we have got to be in this together. You know the old adage, uh, the 80-20 principle? 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. That's true within this community. Uh, about 20% of us are putting forth the effort and the time and actually resources uh, in order to do the work, the mission that God has given us to do. But that can't be. We need to be in this together. And our desire, you know, we said a while back with the Our Moment campaign, our desire all along was 100% participation. We wanted this church family to be all in, in in what we were doing with our capital campaign. And we want us to be all in in the mission that God has given us. So I thought about talking about the power of collective action. But today, I I don't want to talk to you so much in conclusion in this series about the power of decision or the power of collective action for us to really engage in the mission of God. What I want to talk about today is a more important power, a more essential power if we are going to engage in God's mission, and that's the power of the true and living God. And I want us to reflect together about our need as a family, as a church community, to be dependent upon God's power to do God's work in this world. And in order to reflect upon the importance of depending upon God's power, I want to draw your attention to a little story in the Gospel of Mark. This is one of the biographies of Jesus, where Jesus teaches his disciples a lesson about dependence. And in this story, we are going to learn a lesson of our own need to depend upon the power of God to do the work of God and to participate in the mission of God. The story picks up in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And uh, let's just set this story in its context where the story picks up. Jesus is descending from the Mount of Transfiguration. He had taken Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, transfigured before them, manifesting his glory. And as Jesus arrives back down from the mountain, he meets the rest of his disciples in an absolute crisis situation. And look at what it says in verse 14. It says, And when they had come to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, And the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to him and they greeted him. And and so Jesus now has been gone for about three hours on the mountain. And he comes back down and it's a complete mess at the bottom of the mountain. And, And as he arrives upon the scene, his disciples are in an argument with some religious leaders. And they're locked in this horrible argument and there's this young man on the ground and he's sick, he's suffering from seizures and demonic oppression and there's this great crowd gawking and they're just watching it all happen. And then there's this man who's desperate because his son has been sick for a very long time. He's been harassed by a demon and he's mentally sick and he's hurting himself. But instead of helping this man, the disciples are in this argument with some religious leaders. 
And the whole scene is a picture of the church at its worst. Here we are fighting with one another, arguing about theology and face masks and presidential candidates and conspiracy theories. Meanwhile, there's people on the outside desperate for love. And this is the tragic situation that Jesus walks into. And look at what he says, verse 16. He asks them, what are you arguing about? You know, Jesus is like, seriously, I'm gone for three hours and this is what happens. There's an argument, there's this disaster. All these people are watching the whole thing play out. And uh, he's like, why are you arguing? What are you arguing about? And the disciples look up at Jesus sheepishly and they're silent. But helpfully, the man who needed help pipes up and he answers the question, verse 17. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus just listens to this and and he answers just in exasperation. Look at what it says next. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And... uh, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus looks at him, he says, if, if, if I can do anything, All things are possible to the one who believes. So the man, Jesus, after calling out the faithlessness of his disciples and their inability to cast out the demon, names the faithlessness of this father. And the father then, he responds to being called out for his lack of faith in a voice that I think speaks on behalf of us all. He cried out to Jesus and he says, I believe but help my unbelief. The man's faith is weak, but thankfully not everything depends upon the strength of our faith because look what happens next. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Jesus speaks his powerful word and before Jesus, the darkness trembles, the demon is driven out and this boy who was hurting himself is now restored. He's healed. It's a beautiful story of doubt and of faith and of the power of darkness being overcome by the greater power of Jesus. But what I want to draw your attention to is what happens next. 
because Jesus actually takes his disciples into a little debriefing meeting after this whole incident in order to teach them. Look at what it says in verse 28. It says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples came to him, and they asked him privately, Why could we not cast out the demon? And he said to them, This kind, listen to what he says. They said, why why were we unable, Jesus, to participate with you in your work? We've seen you do this work. You've given us this work to do. And now we tried to do it, but we were unable to drive out the darkness. Jesus, why were we unable to cast out the demon? And Jesus says, note well, he says, this kind cannot come out except for by prayer. And here's what I want us to see. This is the simple, kind of low-hanging fruit instruction for us in this story. And it's simply this. If we are going to be on mission with Jesus, if we are going to be a community, a, a church family that bears witness to Jesus in all that we are and say and do, if we are going to participate in the mission of Jesus, we must pray. You know, when we are joining in the work of the kingdom, we're joining in a work that is facing opposition. You know, when the kingdom of God advances, it advances into territory that's already occupied. I don't know how many of you know much about football, I don't know anything about football, but I know this. It's actually the, the thing I appreciate about football is football is all about taking ground. And when you're watching a game, it's, all, it's about this battle over territory, right? It's all about taking more yardage and getting the ball further down the field and owning more and more of the territory. And this is a picture of what is happening when God is at work in this world. God's power, his love, his restorative healing power, is at, it's moving forward in the world and it's seeking to bring people freedom from their addictions and to help people who are overcome with depression and, and self-hatred and say, you are loved. And, and it's a power at work to come into broken marriages and broken homes and broken families and bring healing and restoration. This is a power that's at work to go into broken communities and, and, and make things new. But as the kingdom of God advances, it advances on territory that is already in the grip of some darkness. And you know, don't you? And isn't this true in your own life that wherever... God's light and love wants to further take ground in your own life. That those places of darkness where there's a stranglehold in you, you're, you're like caught in that addiction. Or, or maybe you're, you're caught in your own bitterness and, and unforgiveness and it's eating you up. And, and, and there's some darkness in your heart and life and it doesn't yield easily, does it? It's always a battle. It's always a battle. 
And so as the kingdom of God moves forward, it always moves forward on occupied territory and that territory doesn't yield easily. And so when we engage in the mission of Jesus, we must depend upon the power, the only power that can defeat the darkness and help us take that territory. In other words, if you're gonna engage in the mission of Jesus, you and I must pray. This kind does not come out except by, by prayer. It's, it's almost as if Jesus says to us, his disciples, he says, look, you didn't fail. You know, there wasn't this exorcism fail because you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing. No, earlier Jesus gave them authority over demons. He sent them out. The church is given authority to carry out the mission of Jesus, to drive out the darkness with the light and love of God into every sphere and crevice of human existence. So they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. It wasn't that they were doing something that they were unauthorized to do. And their problem wasn't a lack of technique. You know, in the ancient world, there were all these incantations and spells and things, you, you know, manuals even, on how to cast out demons. And of course, in our own 21st century America, we have our own uh, manuals and uh, technique books on how to do church life. But you know, for the disciples, it wasn't a problem with technique. And, and it, wasn't a, it wasn't a lack of education. You know, they're arguing with the scribes and maybe they're arguing about who knows more and, and who's, who, who knows the right thing to do and, and who's, who's doing it in the way in accordance with the Bible. But you know, it wasn't a lack of education. It wasn't a lack of technique. It wasn't a lack of skill. The problem was, Jesus says to us, he says, look, this kind is way beyond you. The problem is, is that in the face of real darkness, you don't have what it takes. You know, maybe when you were young, like me, you had a teacher that told you, you can do anything you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. And when I was in sixth grade, I played basketball. And I loved the Lakers and dreamed of being in the NBA. But, you know, I didn't have what it took. You know, if I wanted to play NFL football, like, I just don't have what it takes. Could you imagine me playing football? Like, I would be killed. Like, it's well beyond me. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you are engaged. When you are engaged in my kingly work, when you're not just playing church, but when you're stepping into places where there's real darkness and that darkness has a hold on hearts and lives, sometimes even your heart and life, you don't have what it takes to overcome it. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do our best with what we have. Of course we should. You know, we should work hard. You know, as a pastor, I don't have what it takes to transform hearts and minds through these sermons that I preach, these talks that I give, but I work at it. I study hard. I work long hours and trying to prepare and, and preach. And, and you know, I, 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 some of you, you know, you work hard at what you do. 
And our staff team works hard at making creative videos and, and, and of designing services and putting music together. And uh, we're, we're working hard at a building renovation. And we're not called to be sloppy with our programs. And, and, and as parents, you know, parents, you need to read books and get wisdom to be a better parent. And as students or employees, you should try to excel in whatever sphere of life you're working in. I, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't work hard. But let's be clear, our best is not enough. It is not enough for this kind. There is darkness that cannot be driven out by our own best efforts. There is work that goes well, well, well beyond our skill. It goes well beyond our Bible knowledge, our technique, our gifted staff, our parenting skills. Because the work that we want to see most happen, a movement of the gospel, transformed lives, people who are freed from addictions, communities of reconciliation where people are marked by loving hearts and minds are radically transformed. None of this is stuff that we can accomplish on our own. And of course, you know this if you're a parent, right? You can do a lot with your kids. You can educate them, you can train them, you can give them life skills, but you have no control over their hearts. Now, kids, I wish, I, I wish it were the same with your parents. You actually have a great deal of control over your parents' hearts. <laughs> so be careful what you do. And if you're married, I mean, you know you can't change your spouse. You've tried. You can't even change your spouse's spouse, right? Did you guys get that? Your spouse's spouse? That's you. You can't even change you. Listen, the, the, the work we most long to see happen goes well beyond our skills and our abilities and our technique and all of our human resources. But listen, here is the good news in this story. At the end of human resource comes the resource of God. At the end of human resource comes the resource of God. When you come to an end of yourself and your abilities and your techniques and all of your hard work, there is a power that brought all things into being that can work in your life that can work in your family, that can work in this community. There is a power outside of ourselves at work. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher that lived in Britain back in the 20th century. And I remember I, I read a book of his years ago, and I still, I still remember this chapter in this book. It was a book on revival. And I remember he had a chapter in this book on this story and he wrote this. I've never gotten away from these words. He said, we have got to realize that however great this kind is, the power of God is infinitely greater. That what we need is not more knowledge, more understanding, more apologetics, more reconciliation of philosophy and science and religion and all modern techniques. What we need is a power that can enter into the souls of men and women and break them and humble them and make them anew. And this is the power of the true and living God. 
And I think what Jesus is teaching us in our story is that this power is accessed through the regular discipline of honest and dependent prayer. Prayer where we regularly develop this rhythm in our life, almost a rhythm that over time becomes as normal to us as breathing, where we say, God, I need you. I need you to come and do what I cannot do. And so listen, as we move forward into the mission of Jesus, we must pray. We have got to be a community that is marked by honest and regular and dependent prayer. We have got to cultivate this life with God where we slow down our mind and our heart and our body so that we can walk in with the pace of Jesus and and access the presence of God and live with an awareness of God's spirit, what Jesus called abiding. It's what the Apostle Paul called prayer without ceasing. It's what Brother Lawrence named the practice of the presence of God. And so the first and the most basic thing we need to do if we're going to have our mission be attended with power and authority is to cultivate a deep and a real life with God. You know, it's interesting, in some of, in some of your Bibles, you'll notice Jesus says, uh, some of them it's framed, Jesus says this kind won't come out except for by prayer and fasting. And there's some debate whether or not that's in the original text. I I think it's there. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus brings together prayer and fasting is because think for a moment what fasting is. Uh, Anybody here doing some sort of fast during Lent? You gave up something during Lent? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I think the most intense kind of fast is is when you fast from food. And I, I really hate fasting. Uh, I don't like it at all. I haven't done it much. Um, but the reason why I hate fasting, I mean, I could do it for two to three hours worth of time. You know what I mean? Or when I'm asleep through the night. And then I could break that fast in the morning, with bacon and eggs. But the reason why I hate fasting is because I love food. And because I need food. I need food to be nourished. I need food when I'm hungry. I need food when I'm anxious. I need food so I don't get cranky. I need food. And what fasting teaches us is that we need something more than food. You need the power and the presence of God in your life. We need the power and the presence of God at work in this church. And there's this deep connection between a disciplined life of dependence and prayer and spiritual power and authority for God's mission. Now, let me just close by saying this. Not everything depends upon your disciplined prayer life. And sometimes the way you move forward into a deeper life of prayer is to simply begin where you are at today. 
And if today you're just a distracted person and you have a hard time sitting for three minutes without thinking about pizza or bacon or something, or whatever it is, begin where you are at, begin where this man began, who simply spoke those words, I believe, but God help my unbelief. God, I believe, I I want to live into this life of greater dependence, of greater trust, but it just seems like, God, I've got a lot of doubts. I've got a lot of questions. I got a lot of hangups. I got a lot of issues. And, And God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And may you and may we, when we begin in this place of humility and dependence, may we, like this man, find ourselves confronted with the gracious healing power of Jesus who works on behalf of even those who are faithless and struggling to believe. Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we come as a needy, broken people who are beset with all kinds of darkness around us in different ways and shapes and forms and manifestations. And God, you know all of the places where there is battle here tonight. And I ask God that you would meet us with your grace and with your power and with your love afresh. That you would reinvigorate our hope. That we would discover your freedom and your power. That we would know the cleansing of your blood again. That we would know that, that you are a God who is with us and for us. And I pray that you would Fill us afresh so that we could be your people on mission in this world. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.